0: Simon Sabag Montefiore, welcome to Book Choice, Fine Music Radio. It's
1: really lovely to have you here. Great. Well, it's lovely to be here. Great to be in South Africa. Great to be on this station and on your show. Thank you. I wish it was my show, but it's not. Um,
0: and unfortunately, we've only got 10 minutes or so to talk about it. It's Such a. Lot, s- a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about. <laughs> um, 950,000 years of, of human history. I wonder, could I start with the conclusion please do um, wherever you like I, I really love the breadth of big histories like um, David Christensen, um, noah Harari um, Andrew Marr, um, even uh, stephen, P- stephen Pinker's Enlightenment Now, but your text is something entirely different it's um, It tells stories and you manage to blend the intimate with the the breadth it 's just so beautiful your writing is so um, lucid and Deep and you you manage to both be human and and to give a historical perspective. There's one one particular passage in the conclusion. Life can only be understood backwards. So that's Kierkegaard's quote. But it must be lived forward. History never dies. History is is never history. It is kinetic, mutating, dynamic, a deathless arsenal of stories and facts that teach us how humans lived, but also deployed in the causes of today, good and evil, a mission complicated by the internet, that cesspit treasure trove and reliquary of hatreds and hobbies, truths and randomness and revels, calumnies and conspiracies. Yet it is our reverence for the legitimacy granted by history that gives it such a lethal, propulsive power. In a, um, a history of this sort, where you you have such a breadth, you seem to manage what is probably the most difficult, tight, broke walking act of all to balance. What seems to be admiration and fondness for humanity, with revulsion and disgust at some of the stuff that we that we've done over the years across this tightrope of a million years. Where would you, if you had to overbalance? Where would you? Where would on what side would you
1: fall? How how do you see humanity? Um, I love humanity. This book is, of course, it's a total indictment of um, humanity and our strange nature, but it's also a celebration. And the book is, of course, full of... I mean, it's filled with sort of tragedies and murders and, and depravities and cities falling and empires collapsing. But it's also full of poetry and love and writing and great quotations and songs. So I, I, I sort of think of it as both. And in the end, I, I sort of come down on the side of optimism yeah. um, in, that, in that conclusion. But, you know, the, the idea of this book is, you know, just... It's just to have this, the, the, breadth and, um, the breadth and depth and global nature of a, of a world history, but also the intimacy, the juice, the grit of biography. Mm-hmm. And that was the sort of massive challenge that I was trying to, trying to um, pull off here.
0: One of your previous interviews asked you what, what's next, and you said you were going to do something smaller. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it would be difficult to do anything bigger,
1: really. Yeah, there's, there's, there is nothing bigger. <laughs> In fact, I've sort of, I'm sort kind of. I'm going to be recovering from this for some time, <laughs> so, so don't hold your breath. <laughs> I was I was struck
0: by many of the untold stories. There were clearly times when I got the feeling that you wanted to say something, but actually you just you know, it was already big enough, and you'd said uh, as much as you needed to say to link that particular story. Is there anything that you'd want to come back to? Anything? Any stories that you thought? Now that is something that I haven't come across. I before. mean,
1: I mean, lots of stories I wanted to tell more about, and lots of people I wanted to tell more about, but I needed to have some discipline. I mean, obviously the book is, the book is twelve hundred pages long, so I haven't been that disciplined. But um, but you know, basically for a, it's only the size of the, sort of the average biography of Churchill. or... JFK or, yeah. or Star, is, you know, is much longer than this. You know, sometimes four times as long as this in some cases. So, I've actually been very restrained in sort of in what I've put in here, and actually, uh, I've had to, um, to sort of be very disciplined and make difficult decisions. That's what this is all about. Because for me, everything is like stuff that has to go in here is essential, and stuff that I want to put in here, which is kind of fun, and once those of both, and then stuff that is essential for the narrative to work, mm. and. The way it's written is a kind of interwoven. It's one single narrative uh, history from beginning to from the Stone Age to the Drone Age, as it were, um, all linked together and in one narrative, even in, even involving places like America, the Americas, and Australia that sort of aren't aren't directly linked to the rest of the world for long periods.
0: There were there were some areas that really kind of were outstanding in, in what you, were, you know your your relationship with Persia, for example. Is um, I've never read anything. With, with that, that has been told with such fondness and such insight and such, um, such admiration. The one, one of the themes that also seems to come up is the is the theme of literature and literature and art generally. Uh, for example, the uh, Murasaki,
1: the yeah, the, the
0: you know that that would be those would be wonderful stories. To tell.
1: Yeah I mean I think the thing is first of all you know I wanted this to be a completely fresh history and so it's got a lot of stuff that people aren't familiar with. I mean first of all it's got the diversity I mean Africa is as important in this book as Africa and Asia are as important as America and Europe all the way through of course it's also women's history it's also filled with women you know, interesting women who have been left out of a lot of traditional histories as well um, and then like you said it's got a lot of countries in it that you know aren't sort of aren't massive empires even in modern times like persia like iran which are massively important and of course there was an iranian empire there was a persian empire in ancient times but this has Persia, iran all the way through it and one of the things i wanted to do with this is not just have a kind of victor's history where it's just about the british empire the russian empire and america and the united states but it's also got lots of countries that you might not know so much about like haiti or hawaii or albania or cambodia for example you know so just to be be honest it's just been such fun writing it such an adventure and um but also a sort of nightmare i mean i didn't really sleep for about three years writing this book as you can imagine because every every time i was going to sleep i thought oh my god i've i've got to get you know I've, I've forgotten to cover mozambique enough you know mm-hmm. um, i've got to go back and read up about that you know the frilimo or whatever and i've got to do the research and i've got to because i've got to do it in the morning because if i don't get this written tomorrow i won't make my sort of schedule because you know i had to get it done so it's been, a, it's been a lot of pressure, but it's a great joy to be traveling the world talking about it. Better than writing it, I can tell you. <laughs> Your writing is so, uh, it's so dense. Is it, is it an anguish to write or is it, is it, does it flow? I mean, once you've got your subject matter, does it flow fairly um, easily? Well, the problem is kind of mastering stuff because it's easy. I mean, first of all, anyone can write an unreadable history. And secondly, anyone can write something that, no, that is completely wrong about a subject. And it's just repeating, every, you know, conventional yeah. wisdoms. And I wanted to do neither. So, so the struggle was to master the subject and then to sort of actually get it down. And once I, once I started writing it, um, uh, goes, it, it flows easily. But I rewrite and rewrite everything to make it as elegant as possible. Certainly
0: the conclusion, I think, should be, re- re- should be something that every single human being reads because it, it's, it gives such a sense of perspective. Thank there you. A, there were uh, two interviews that I listened to, um, Simon Brewer and, and Saul David. And as a teacher, um, I loved your advice on writing. Don't get it right, get it
1: written. Yes, I mean, the key, that's the key to writing. is like, you can't edit something if it doesn't exist. Get it down. That's my advice to all, all prospective writers. As a
0: teacher, you speak of the dark matter of history, um, which is a really wonderful, wonderful quote. What would you say to a class of school leavers now if you had to try and condense the wisdom that you've got from all of this thinking and writing and
1: refining? I think you just, in the dark matter of history, um, you've just got to judge Judge people um, not by any of the ideologies that try and impose a view on, on history, but just judge people by the way they treat other people, whatever their colour, whatever their race, whatever their identity. My basic rule in this book has been, like, everyone counts or no one counts. You know, whether it's, whether it's Europeans oppressing people of colour in Africa, for example, or whether it's other, other Africans oppressing other Africans... I treat everyone the same in this book, that's my aim anyway, and not to make kind of moral judgments that one life is worth, one life or one killer is worse or better than another. Mm-hmm. So that's my advice about the dark matter of history. Judge, judge it this way, everyone counts or no one counts. You, you
0: explore the relationships between sex and power a lot. I mean, I suppose in any family book, sex and, and power would, would be necessarily be there. And then I think of someone like South Africa's own Shaka, was there something, the, the the kind of relationships between sex power and, I suppose, family relationships, pe- pe- uh, you know, Shaka's relationship with his mother, um, and many, many of the other historical characters you speak about, is this something that you were aware of before? Did it become
1: a theme that developed as you, as you researched? Yeah, the, I mean, the mothers um, in the book are very important, and this is really a book about, in one sense, you could regard this as a book about matriarchy and motherhood, and mothers, and especially mothers in power. So the book is full of that, and of course Shaka is a huge character in the book, fascinating character, and the Zulu kingdom is very important. But there are other, you know, there are many other African kingdoms in the book, in fact. But you know, Shaka is an interesting case, you know, because I mean, the, one has to one of the questions that the book you know, wonders about is like leadership: what what makes people successful leaders? And of course, you know, some of the people who become leaders are also kind of there's a certain madness in charisma. and Mm. and political talent, too. Stalin said, you know, all politicians are abnormal. And the more intense the power, the more abnormal they are. Um, And if they're not abnormal when they start, they're abnormal by the time they finish. (laughs) So um, that's one of the themes of the book. It's, It's about leadership as well.
0: On the theme of history and looking at things slightly differently, I don't know if you've watched the Netflix series um, Graham Hancock's Ancient Apocalypse. I haven't actually, but I know what it is. Yeah. Oh, you speak about uh, Göbekli Tepe, yeah, um, uh, which is one of the one of the kind of key parts of his argument, how important do you think it is to 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 continually revise and think about? The inter- you you you've already mentioned that, but yeah. to, to continually revise the interpretation that is. I
1: think been- it's really important to continually to revise it, and it should it's got to be fresh, it's got to be new, it's got to you. History is never you know is never dead, I and mean, history writing is always always got to be revisited, and, and one's got to cast a fresh eye. I mean, the conventional wisdom is virtually always wrong, but equally, one's got to like one's got to be very strict about we got you know about stories and conspiracy theories and. Mm-hmm. And um, I haven't seen that, that Netflix series, so I don't want to comment on it, but I think um, generally, you know, one's got, to, one's got to be very careful of sort of crankery, where somebody's just sort of following a sort of um, a theory, trying to impose some sort of outlandish theory on, mm-hmm. on, on, on very limited evidence. Of course, it's been done a lot, and virtually all the great myths of history that we try and throw out are, exa- are exactly that. Um, And there are new myths being created all the time that we have to reject, just like we could reject the old old views, too. Mm. So I think the thing about history is one's got to be vigilant. You
0: speak of yourself as a historian of power, um, geopolitics as being the engine of world history. And then, in fact, just this very morning, I was reading a Daily Maverick article talking about... Um, migration. Migration, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, the estimate is that there will be many, many millions of of people migrating for, not only for political and for money, but also because of um, climate change. Yeah. So, history, history continues to be determined by migrations.
1: Yeah, I mean, migration is one of the great themes of the book. I mean, the book covers, you know, the great movements of history, technologies and ideologies and religions and, and migration through but by being tethered to the stories of families and, and people and of course migration means a, a movement of family so it's very much um, one of the themes of the book and migration has created the world that we know it you know so yeah I mean the big challenge now one of the big challenges that we're going to face is is vast migration and I mean this should be Africa's moment um, you know this, you know, countries like Nigeria now have the mass and the resources. They have everything. But the, the, the misgovernance of these countries mm. has to be... They have to improve their governance. doesn't look like, for example, Nigeria, which should be the African superpower now, it doesn't look like it's going to improve its style of government and deal with things like corruption. And, of course, South Africa, we know that there are... You know, South Africa also should be the other superpower in Africa, got everything that it needs. But the challenges in sub-Saharan Africa and Saharan Africa are that if these massive, these massive countries are going to have vast populations in the next 50 years, I mean, Nigeria is going to be one of the biggest countries in the world. And if they can't support those people, Egypt is another. Mm-hmm. Um, those people are all going to leave for, the, for what I call the comfort democracies of, mm-hmm. of Western Europe. And if the Western democracies accept all those people, they'll cease to be the comfort democracies um, that, that they are now that everyone wants to go and live in. And so this is going to be a massive crisis, and it's not just in England, there's a big crisis now about people crossing in little boats from from France. Mm. Uh, But it's going to be a much bigger problem for all of Europe and how to to manage this. There's a final question. What are
0: your views on AI, for example, and um what that is going to how that's
1: going to change history and possibly storytelling? Well, I mean I think that um I think that AI and you know smartphones and the, the new high tech started in the nineties is just the biggest one of the biggest changes in the whole of human history um so it's hugely important I mean but it's also a huge challenge. I mean f- you know at the moment we've got these kind of i call them despots of data. Um, these these kind of billionaires who control so much of our lives at the moment, you know, through their companies, through these these huge data harvesting uh, high tech companies. So that's going to that's a huge challenge. We need to we need to a work out how to control them and b work out how to live in you know, our own lives with our own children and their children, how to live with this technology. Mm-hmm. But with AI, AI is going to be hugely important. It's incredibly dangerous. It could be the most dangerous technology, for despotisms and states even democracies to use to control people it's going to put a lot of people out of work in sort of in in all sorts of industries but i think in the democracies and in in sophisticated countries like yours and mine it's going to be it's going to put a lot of middle class people a lot of educated graduates out of work because we all know there are a lot of people whose whole job is just mediating between different bits of the internet at the moment um, I call it onanist, onanistic economy in the sense it's just, it's just servicing itself endlessly. And those people, I'm afraid, they're going to be put out of work. And, of course, you know, well-educated, underemployed graduates often become the lead- revolutionary leaders of the future. So they could be very discontented. So the challenge for AI is to um, control government's use of it, um, control abuse of it, and also find ways to spread the wealth that it's going to generate throughout society. And so there's there are a hell of a lot of challenges in high tech, and that's one of the things that I talk about in the in the conclusion of yes, the book yes, yeah yes, I mean, with, yeah, yeah exactly oh it's it's a fascinating dilemma it's both very exciting and dangerous, and we need to be um we need to be vigilant and ready.
0: Because at the moment, it seems much more to be a way of controlling and dominating.
1: Yeah, but it could be a great time. I mean, yeah. I mean, we're, in, we're going into a different time now. I mean, for the last sort of 100, and, 100, 150 years, all of our lives, uh, the shape of our lives and the shape of family life has been controlled by work and you know, going into an office there was a whole culture of people wearing suits and ties which now seems kind of ridiculous but for a hundred years every, that was terribly important to everybody Like, what were we doing with ties <laughs> and, then, um, and, so, and so now this is going to reform it. people are going to spend more time with their families mm. some people will find that hell some people will find that heaven mm. um, but it's going to be much more time it's going to be more leisure time potentially and um, we need to learn how to use that and not, not to waste it. So there are benefits from all this, too. Thank you very much. It really has been such a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Would you be so kind yeah, to read, yeah, read yeah. something? I'm sorry I have scribbled all over this book. doesn't matter. I, doesn't I not... love
1: to see scribbles.
0: <laughs> I love to see a well-read book. <laughs> some of it is, some of it is,
1: is um, maybe not so polite. I mean, not, not about you, but about the people. No, I don't mind. My... <laughs> On the 30th of December, 1916, a cabal of Romanovs and aristocrats used a beautiful princess to lure Rasputin to the palace, where he was poisoned and then shot, before being pushed under the ice of the Neva. The lecherous peasant was blamed for the incompetence of the Romanov couple, but the responsibility was theirs, and his death diminished their decaying authority. As Nicholas returned to headquarters, bread shortages sparked spontaneous demonstrations that overran the capital. The Tsar ordered rioters to be shot, but the troops changed sides. Rushing back, he was isolated in a railway carriage and forced by his generals to abdicate. But he was replaced by a provisional government determined to fight on against Germany. The fall of the Romanovs coincided with the operation on the Emperor William's scrotum.
0: <laughs> an excellent place to stop.
1: <laughs> Perfect. I mean, you've got some, you've got some <laughs> chapter
0: headings that are absolutely amazing. I yeah,
1: mean, the chapter headings are the chapter headings are a lot of fun, yeah, but they're meant to, but they have a sort of serious, um, a, a serious sort of purpose, which is just to sort of show the depth and breadth of the book, and also show readers that who might not be kind of history buffs like you that they can that there's a lot of fun stuff in here, and this book is is informative and it's based on scholarship, but it's also meant to be exciting and entertaining.
0: And that it was. I mean, there were, there were stories about salted testicles, there were stories about uh, constant erections, there were stories about uh, all, <laughs> any yeah. number of things. It was really lovely. All the perils and delights of history. Yeah, yeah really lovely. Thank so, you. So, so, thank you very much. It was really wonderful. Thanks thank for you. having
1: me.